Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. This spot in the book, in chapter 8 and verse 1, the writer of Hebrews makes a statement that really grabs our attention. He says, now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. All right, now this is my kind of passage, right? Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. And these six verses we'll look at this morning, the writer of Hebrews is going to condense for us the main point of really what he's been saying all through this book. So the material this morning is not new. Rather, it's a review of all that we've studied up to this point. So think about today's sermon, if you will, as a parenthesis in the forward progress of this book as the writer pauses to make sure that we're tracking with him, that we understand what he's been saying to us. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean you get to check out, okay? That doesn't mean that you get to say, well, I've already heard all of this, so I'm just going to think about my grocery list now for the week or whatever. No, the Lord knows that we need to hear things more than once. We learn through repetition. And so as an act of worship this morning, I invite you to listen to these truths once again. Let them soak deep within you so that they imprint themselves on your heart and your mind. For if these matters were not important, the Holy Spirit would not have inspired the author of Hebrews to summarize them for us again in this fashion. And of course, the truth is that the person and work of Jesus Christ who he is and what he does for us are absolutely crucial to our faith. These are the truths that we have to have nailed down, that we have to know frontward and backward. So let's now turn our attention to the text and see what exactly is the main point of what the author has been saying in these first seven chapters and particularly in the last three chapters. And after we identify the main point, we're then going to look at two subpoints that add some further important details. So let's start reading and uh, let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 8, we'll start with verses 1 and 2. The writer says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. All right, here's the main point of everything we've learned up until today in this book. The main point is that Jesus is the perfect high priest serving in the heavens. Again, Jesus is the perfect high priest serving in the heavens. Now, we've defined the role of a priest several times already in this series, but let's do it again to make sure we understand. The role of a priest is to mediate between God and man, to connect God and man, if you will. According to the Old Testament law, Israel was to appoint their priests from the tribe of Levi to make sacrifices to God on behalf of the people so that they might be absolved or forgiven of their sins. But there was a problem with that system. Those priests 
were human. And so, A, that meant that they themselves were sinful. And B, it meant that they eventually died and had to be replaced by other priests. Now, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24, a passage that Pastor Bill covered last week, it says basically that we need a priest who continues forever. We need a priest who doesn't die. And not only that, but according to verse 26, it says that we need a priest who is holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners and higher than the heavens who doesn't need to offer daily sacrifices for his own sins. That's the kind of priest we need. But where in the world would we ever find a priest such as that? Well, thankfully, chapter 8 and verse 1 tells us, we have such a high priest. We have that priest. And who is he? His name is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity existing eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, Jesus took on flesh and became one of us. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born to a virgin, he lived a sinless and perfect life. And ultimately, he gave that life on the cross as our substitute, as the payment for our sins, quenching the holy wrath of God. But that wasn't the end of the story because on the third day he rose again, defeating sin and death forever, proving that he was the Messiah and establishing himself eternally as our perfect high priest. Furthermore, verse 1 says that Jesus does not conduct his priestly office from the earthly tabernacle made with human hands but rather he sits at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, making intercession for us to the Father. Now the right hand of any throne is traditionally the place of power. It is the place of honor, the place of authority, the place of royalty. This is the place that Jesus occupies in heaven. This is the place that he occupies in the universe. Again, not in an earthly tabernacle made by human hands, but in the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man, speaking there of that wonderful place called heaven. That's where Jesus is this very moment, praying to the Father for you and for me. As one man has said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference for he is praying for me. Brothers and sisters, Christ is praying for you. He is praying for me. He is at this very moment interceding for us to the Father, serving or performing his priestly duty, serving as the mediator between us and God. And unlike the priests of the Old Testament, he is without sin. And unlike the priests of the Old Testament, he will never die. He is our priest forever and no man comes to the Father but by him. That needs an amen. You guys awake this morning? All right. Additionally, here's something important that we need to understand. Jesus is not our high priest by default. In order for Jesus to be our high priest, we must respond to his invitation 
to repent of our sin and believe upon him, calling upon his name for salvation. Let me ask you, has there ever been a time in your life when you called upon Jesus to save you? When you cried out to him and said, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died in my place for my sin. And I believe that you rose again. And so I turn from my sin and I receive you as the Lord and master of my life. Jesus is not your high priest until you respond to him in repentance and faith. And if Jesus is not your high priest, then you have no connection to God. You are separated from God on the road to eternal death and hell. I implore you, if you have not given your life to Christ, don't leave here this morning without making things right with God. None of us know if we will ever have another opportunity. But again, the main point of all that we've studied in Hebrews up to now is that Jesus is our perfect high priest serving in the heavens. Now that we've established that main point, let's look at a couple sub points that further support it. So let's continue reading now and we're going to read verses three through five. It says, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that this one, capital O there, referring to Jesus, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And we'll pause there. All right, the first subpoint that we see in these verses is this. The Old Testament priesthood was a shadow of Jesus's heavenly priesthood. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the Old Testament is full of shadows or types of Christ. Do you remember that? We talked about how certain people and places and, and things in the Old Testament were a preview of the coming of Jesus. In these verses that we just read, there are two specific things mentioned that served as Old Testament shadows or previews of Jesus Christ. One of the things mentioned here is the tabernacle. Verse 5 says that the tabernacle, the tent where the children of Israel met to make sacrifices to the Lord, that the tabernacle was a copy or a shadow of heavenly things. Now, that's not to say there's a literal tabernacle in heaven. We, we won't have any reason for a portable worship tent in heaven. Revelation says there is no temple in the heavenly city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So it's not that the Old Testament tabernacle mirrors some kind of literal heavenly tabernacle, but it is to say that the very design of the tabernacle, in that design, there was embedded symbolism that told a story about what Jesus would accomplish for his people. And that's why God gave Moses such specific instructions. If you've ever read those in the law, he gets very specific about the dimensions and how the tabernacle is to be constructed. That's why it's so specific, because it had to be just right. 
because the tabernacle was meant to be, it was designed to be a shadow of heavenly things. Time prevents us from exploring the symbolism of the tabernacle more thoroughly, but I'd encourage you to research that a little bit on your own. It's very fascinating. The other thing mentioned in these verses that served as a shadow of heavenly things and specifically served as a shadow of Christ himself was the sacrificial system. Verse 3 says that every high priest was appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Verse 5 says that when the high priest did this, he was serving as a copy, as a shadow of heavenly things. Well, how was the priest making sacrifices a shadow of heavenly things? How was that a preview of Jesus? Every time that the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and sacrificed a spotless lamb for the sins of the people, that was a preview of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, going to the cross and offering himself as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. In this way, the Old Testament priesthood was a shadow of Jesus' heavenly priesthood. Interestingly, verse 4 makes the point that according to the Old Testament law, Jesus really wouldn't even be qualified to be an earthly high priest. He wasn't from the right tribe. Remember, the, the earthly priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He would have been disqualified according to the law. But that's okay because Jesus' priesthood is not of an earthly nature. It's of a heavenly nature. He is the perfect priest bringing forth a perfect sacrifice. Verse 3 also points out that if you're a priest, it's necessary that you have a sacrifice to offer. That's part of your job. You can't come to the altar empty-handed. But Jesus has something far better than a mere animal to offer because he gave himself on the cross. Chapter 7 and verse 27 says that Jesus offered up himself as the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Now one little addendum here. Remember there's some thought among scholars that some of the Hebrews may have been flirting with the idea of bringing back elements of the Old Testament sacrificial system of returning somehow to the use of human priests. And to that notion, the writer of Hebrews clearly says, no, 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 no. Those human priests, those animal sacrifices they offered, they were only meant to be shadows. They were only meant to be previews of something coming that is far greater. They were meant to be previews of Jesus. They were certainly not meant to exist alongside him or replace him. Likewise, you and I must not replace Jesus with anyone or with anything, not other people, not other religions, certainly not our own righteousness. Only Jesus can connect us to the heavenly father. His priesthood is exclusive and it is ultimate. All right, let's finish this up now by looking at the second Subpoint, which we find in verse 6. The author writes, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Here's the second subpoint. As the perfect high priest, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. 
Now, we'll go into this concept in much more detail in our next sermon from this book. Because in verse 7 and following, the author of Hebrews really begins to unpack what he means when he says that the new covenant is better than the old. But for today, let me just summarize very succinctly. Verse 6 says that Jesus has a more excellent ministry than the Levitical priests because he is the mediator of a better covenant. But really the question is, what makes the new covenant better than the old? In other words, what makes the covenant that God has established with us through Jesus better than the covenant that God established with the Jewish people through Moses? What makes it better? Verse 6 answers that question this way. It says the new covenant is better because it was established on better promises. Well, what promises is it talking about? Here's the distinction. This is very important for us to understand. The old covenant was established on the promise of God's protection and blessing for those who kept his law, including the never-ending sacrifice of animals through earthly priests. That's the old covenant. In contrast, the new covenant was established on the promise of God's indwelling presence and eternal life for those who repent of their sin and put their trust in the finished work of Christ. Do you see why the writer of Hebrews says the new covenant was established on better promises? Let me ask it this way. What's better? You tell me. Making repeated sacrifice of animals to be right with God, having to go through a human priest just to connect with God, or trusting in the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, knowing that all of your sins are eternally forgiven and that through Jesus, you have the ability to go directly to the heavenly father in worship, in thanksgiving, in confession of sin, and in making your request known. Several years ago, one of uh, Rachel's fifth graders wrote a very nice card to me. I had visited Rachel's class and I'd read a book to her students. And so this young man wrote me this nice card and his card said, you're a good man and a good priest. I love that. I thought that was so cool. I think about that card often a smile because of course I am not a priest, not in that sense. I'm honored to be your pastor, but aren't you glad I'm not your priest? Aren't you glad that you don't need an earthly priest? Aren't you glad that Jesus is your heavenly priest? Clearly, the new covenant is a superior covenant. What a privilege to live on this side of Jesus so that we may enjoy the blessings of his covenant, the new covenant. What an opportunity The prophets of the Old Testament would have given an arm and a leg to live on this side of Jesus. And as I said, we'll dive further into the blessings and the significance of the new covenant next time that we're together. But for today, as we come to a time of response, we've been reminded this morning of the main point of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the perfect high priest serving in the heavens 
And we must never get past that. That truth should never become old or dull or boring to us. We need to be reminded of that time and time again. Jesus is our great high priest. He is the only one who can connect us to God, who can bring us into a saving relationship with the holy God. There's no one else, just Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I close this morning by asking you, have you confessed Jesus with your mouth? Have you believed on him in your heart? Have you called upon his name for salvation? If you have not, you can do that right now. We're gonna have a song of response here in just a moment. And when we play this song, I'm gonna be standing here on the floor at the front of the room. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, if you're ready to become a Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something that will require great courage. I'm going to ask you to walk to the front of the room where I'll be standing and come to me and say, Josh, I want to be a Christian. I am ready to follow Jesus. And I will gladly receive you and pray with you and for you. And together, we'll let everyone know of your commitment to follow Christ. Let me say this as well. Two weeks from today, we are going to have baptisms at Finley River Park right after the morning worship service. Now understand, baptism does not make you a Christian, right? We get that. Only faith in Christ makes us a Christian. But baptism is what God has commanded us to do to show others that we are a Christian, It is the very first step of obedience as a follower of Jesus. And so with the invitation this morning, I would say if you're here today and you've put your faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized, I would invite you to come this morning. Again, shake my hand and say, Josh, I'm a Christian, but I need to be baptized. And we'll rejoice with you and we'll celebrate that and we'll look forward to baptizing you. If that's you, please come. If you need to come today and unite with this church in membership, or if you would just like to come and pray about something that's weighing heavy on your heart and you want to come kneel at the altar this morning and pray to God, you can do that as well. Let me pray for us, and then after I pray, I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and we'll have our song of response. Lord, thank you so much for this passage that we have looked at this morning. Thank you for this important reminder that Jesus is our great high priest, that he is the perfect high priest, and that he is the only way to you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, that you would speak to their heart, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and draw them to you, that they might turn from their sin and put their faith in you this morning and become a follower of Jesus. Lord, we commit this time unto you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.